Part of the movie's brilliance is in how it questions the very concept of a good deed. That's A.A. Dowd of A.V. Club talking about A Hero, our featured film this week from the Iranian master Oscar Farhadi. As far as new films, it's not just A Hero, which, by the way, is not in theaters until January 7th and January 21st. It'll be available on Amazon Prime Video. I was lucky enough to see it at a select screening. And that's our wild card today. Farhadi himself, the great director, is going to join us. He's a heavyweight guest. You know, in, in the ticket world cinema, there's only six directors have ever won Best Foreign Film twice. So Fellini, Kurosawa, Bergman, De Sica, I can't remember who the fifth one is, and Farhadi. And I think his latest film is as good as it gets. So cannot wait to speak to him. Other new films, though, Tick, Tick, Boom, which is currently on Netflix, starring Andrew Garfield. I think he's going to get a Best Actor nomination. He's fantastic. And a, and a very bizarre movie, Bad Luck, Banging, or Looney Porn. It's definitely going to win the title for Best Title of the Year. Some fun names. Uh, if nothing else, we have some fun titles <laughs> for movies yeah, exactly. this week. Best titles ever. Uh, as far as the old, we're going to go with This is the End. I was thinking about some of my favorite comedies from the past yes. 10 years or so. Cody rewatched it again. I knew Chris would be all over it. Evan Goldberg, Seth Rogen. Oh. I mean, Hall of Fame cast. I know James Franco's now been blacklisted. But Franco, Seth Rogen, Danny McBride, Michael Cera, Mindy Kaling. Christopher Mintz-Platz, Channing Tatum, Kevin Hart, Paul Rudd, Rihanna, Emma Watson, Craig Robinson, Jay Baruchel, Jonah Hill. In honor of the fact Don't Oof. Look Up is coming soon to Netflix, which Cody's father has already watched. I can't wait to see it on Netflix. I mean, that, that is a Hall of Fame cast there for This is the End. This movie, I just think of, we'll get to it, but cameos. Like, that movie, like, the, the people are, most of those people are in it for, like, probably less than 15 seconds. But it's just so funny the way they use cameos no in that movie. It's also funny, we were talking previously about our texting etiquette and how much we hate the little bubble when it pops up waiting for it. How about the fact, mm -hmm. so we had a flurry of emails and trying to get Farhadi and Tony Hale were taping today. You're going to hear Tony next week. I was trying to get Terry Crews. So I figured I would send you a text to just kind of make it easier for you. I sent it Friday at 10 o'clock. I didn't hear back from you, so I'm like, okay, maybe Chris is gone for the weekend. That's fine. But I was like, I'll make it easy for you. So then you come back, and then in response to you, because oh, I was like, you're just regurgitating what I've already told you, I decided to not actually respond with any actual words. So you texted me. You have been. I've noticed I've noticed the last couple of weeks you've been going more with, like, I'll send a text, and you either thumbs down it, you give the, the exclamation points. I like it, though. It kind of just, like, each point I'm making, you're, you're giving your Think little thought it. on it. You gave I four like texts in succession, and I said, I'm not going to respond to any of them with any words. So you put, am I running the Zoom for the interview today, which I'd already clarified in an email. I put an exclamation point. You said, or is it a press junket? Sorry, I'm a little confused. I went thumbs down. Then you wrote, I see now. I'll jump in Zoom to record. I give it a heart. And then, so it's at 3.40 Eastern. I give it a... <laughs> thumbs up it's because these damn emails get confusing and i'm trying to get caught up i see like I'm, I'm following the whole chain and then like i realize i sent the text before i got to the bottom of the chain you know i'm just Dude, I'm, I, I can be I'm, better I'm, man I, we all have our weaknesses i communication staying organized <laughs> i can slap sometimes i'm organized but there are weeks where i fall a little behind and yes I, I, it's fair it's I just all fair go, criticism not an email guy. he's a text guy so i'll text you but then 72 hours no response to the text i go just give me a thumbs up I'm like no he's gone for the weekend I'm like, i know okay no, man, it's Listen. not all good. I need to look in the mirror. I need to go home today. I need to say, Chris, you need to be better. In today's world where everybody is too fixated on their phones, you should be proud of the fact you are not on your phone mm. all the time, that you are not good at communicating when everybody else is an A+. But a lot of my friends, but a lot of my friends end up coming at me with I'm that guy because I am that guy with all my friends. It's like, oh, Chris is not going to respond. People like that. People think that I'm big timing them. Like there's friends that I have that are like, oh, big yeah, Levitard yeah. show guy doesn't respond. And it's like, no, I just, I just. It's not my strength. I'm that guy. You open up my text, and I have like 22 unread oh, texts. I just, God. I don't know. I'm such agitator. I can't. It's hard to yeah. keep up. It's hard to keep I up. I always like keeping up with the show, and I was so happy last year on the Dan Levitard show. 
It was post-game. You guys did a 15-minute conversation with the Jeremy Strong article in The New Yorker. So I don't know if you've actually read the article. You did chime in with the fact you had a punchable face. 15 minutes. Yeah, you know, that's my go-to. I play the hits. You bring up Jeremy Strong, that's my take. It was was primarily Levitard, and then Mike Ryan's jumping in, and Jessica's jumping in, Stu Gossel comments. The only thing Chris offered to the conversation was, he doesn't have a punchable face. So they're like, well, yeah. It's all I offered here, too, when it's just me and you. The the article is fantastic. You should go check it out in The New Yorker. The New Yorker is still doing great, incisive journalism. Essentially, I'll boil it down for you for this. It's going to take you half an hour to read it. It's like 50,000 words but Jeremy Strong comes across as a guy who takes himself way too seriously um, the good news is he's very intense and he appreciates acting and treats it like an art form he treats his role in succession as serious as anything in his life but if you read the article you come across saying okay this guy's a little self-absorbed he's a little pretentious and the headline is great speaking of titles you don't one of the say great titles ever on succession Jeremy Strong doesn't get the joke that's the title, yeah. which is amazing, because the author at one point talk about what a great comedy is, and he's like, what do you mean? Like, in what respect? They're like, it's a comedy. It's a funny show. He's like, I, I don't think of that way at all. And, and Adam McKay's <laughs> like, that's kind of why we cast him. Like, he's treating Kendall Roy like it's Hamlet, yeah. and everybody else is treating it like a comedy. And kind of like me, That's he doesn't great. admire some of the same actors. On his bedroom wall, he had Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon, Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man, and Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot. Daniel Day-Lewis, very famously, is a method actor, gets in a character, will not get out of it. And Jeremy Strong has done this as well. Um, when he, at one point, on shooting the Aaron Sorkin film, he asked to use tear gas on him, and Aaron Sorkin's like, we're not going to do that, but nice try. Um, and Succession, the, the, the image that I have, Chris, of him coming across is that he doesn't get his makeup done where the other actors are, kind of keeps apart, a little bit aloof. Some of the actors respect it like brian cox like listen i'm more of a turn it on turn it off kind of guy i worry about him a little bit like i think he takes it too far but I, whatever you want to do yeah uh, kieran culkin kind of seems like his character's kind of like, yeah jeremy kind of does his weird little acting thing but whatever it's all good but you kind of get the sense that some of the other cast members or maybe the crew is like hey jeremy like get over yourself strong who is now 42 yeah. has the hangdog face of someone who wasn't destined for stardom i read that because you said he had a punchable face but his mild appearance belies a relentless sometimes preening intensity he speaks with a slow deliberate cadence especially when talking about acting which he does with a monk-like solemnity to me the stakes are life and death i take him as seriously as i take my own life he does not find the character funny which is probably why he's so funny in the role you mentioned posters on the wall. That, we're not doing that anymore, huh? Kids these days, we do we do posters, posters on the wall still? Wall. I know you had them. He did. I mean, I feel like I think I had a Jessica Simpson poster. <laughs> Didn't she do what was like the that one where uh, the redneck yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah. The Dukes of Hazzard. What was the redneck movie she did with Sean Williams? Dukes of Hazard. I think I had the Jessica Simpson Dukes of Hazard poster on my college dorm. But that's the last thing I think I hung up yeah, on a wall. College definitely everybody had posters. I'm with you. Music, movies, whatever, yeah. television. But now it's it's a bygone era. But but that is. <laughs> By the way, very famous video as well, Jessica Simpson. Those boots are made for knocking. I wanted to read this part, though, specifically about Jeremy Strong. The dedication strikes some collaborators as impressive, others as self-indulgent. This was on The Judge. He played a mentally disabled brother, Robert Downey Jr. film. When Downey shot a funeral scene, Strong paced around the set weeping loudly, even though he wasn't called that day. He asked for personalized props that weren't in the script, including a family photo album. It was almost like swatting him away like he was an annoying gnat. I had bigger things to deal with, a member of the design team recalled. Um, later on, you know, the extreme approach, often described as method acting, a much abused term that, in its classic sense, involves summoning emotions from personal experience and projecting them onto a character. Strong does not consider himself a method actor, far from minding his own life. He practices what he calls identity diffusion. So you can get where he's going here. He loves quotes. I heard him on Scott Feinberg's podcast, Awards Chatter. 
And in this article, he said a bits of wisdom from Carl Jung, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Carl Uwe Nausgaard, Robert Duvall, Meryl Streep, Harold Pinter. The more acute the experience, the less articulate its expression. The Danish filmmaker Tobias Lindholm, T.S. Eliot, Gustav Flaubert, and Old Proverbs. When fishermen cannot go to sea, they mend their nets. When I noted that he was a sponge for quotations, he turned grave and said, I'm not a religious person, but I think I've concocted my own book of hymns. What would you do, Cody, if you had a friend who was constantly quoting those types of people, those types of sources? Punch him in the face. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Did you want uh, chocolate chip ice cream or chocolate chip? It reminds me of what Flaubert once said. Hey, God, seriously, just pick the ice cream, Jeremy. <laughs> what are we doing here? Uh, one more little quote here. This is, obviously, you all know how much I love Pacino. Pacino's my favorite actor. This is amazing. He basically used, basic, when he was at Yale, this, this idea just to concoct Al Pacino to come. So I, I really don't know how he did this. But basically, he's there at Yale. He's like, we should present an award to Al Pacino. So they, they come up with this award. This is after, like he, and he's doing basically productions that Pacino had done himself. Um, American Buffalo, Huey, Indian Wants a Bronx. All plays that Pacino had done as if Strong were checking out boxes on his theatrical resume. During his junior year, Strong even managed to arrange for Pacino to come to campus to teach a master class. This is something I would do. The heavily promoted visit was largely sponsored by the Yale Dramat, the school's undergraduate theater group. Many alumni recall the visit as a debacle. Pacino's acting advice was vague. Strong had appointed himself the intermediary between the drama and Pacino's office, and the cost of town cars, posters, and a celebrity dinner blew up the budget. To lure Pacino, Strong had persuaded the drama to concoct a prestigious-sounding award, and the students commissioned a pewter chalice from Maury's, a New Haven tavern on which the winners' names would be engraved each year. But Pacino took the chalice home, adding to the enormous bill. <laughs> Basically, in order for Jeremy to have his fantasy of meeting Al Pacino play out, he nearly bankrupted a 100-year-old college theater company, but he had one wonderful night of getting to hang out with Al Pacino. <laughs> you would totally do that. <laughs> I'm like, well, it was a good night, guys. Give yeah. it all up. Hey, sorry about the financial situation. Give it all up for one night. One night uh, without. I don't want to spoil it, but Succession season finale was fantastic. Maybe we'll hum the theme from Jeopardy for 10 seconds right now or people go find something else to do. Just skip ahead if you don't want any spoilers. I'll talk around it for a second, then I'll get to the big reveal. But we're not sure where the show is going. I do think at times, with a show like Succession, you know, there's only so many seasons you can do. I feel like it's five seasons, then after that, like, seriously, who is succeeding the throne? But the show is brilliant, and I thought this season was very strong. A few middling episodes in the middle, Kendall's birthday party, but the final 20 minutes, the final two episodes, in general, as good as television gets. Did you watch it, Chris? Are you a Succession fan? No. I have not gotten into well, Succession yet. All I would yet. say is... The, I, I, it's, it's on my list. Me and my wife really want to watch it. it I'll just say just the final it. reveal. The fi no, no, no. Listen, no. The final 20 minutes. Do it, man. Absolute brilliance from Brian Cox. I hope he wins an Emmy Award as Logan Roy. Our boy Jeremy Strong, always good as Kendall. And I got to tell you, Tom, who's been such a sneaky, good character, he ends up having a very fitting conclusion and a great homage to The Godfather. Somebody much smarter than me said, hey, that last shot when Shiv is looking through the window, excuse me, the door, that's like Kay looking out and watching Pacino when they're kissing the ring at the end of the first Godfather. So props to Adam McKay for a very cool homage to The Godfather at the end of season three. I hope you and your wife will watch it at some point. I think you guys would enjoy it. Are you sure you don't want to just do it, man? No. I could like not listen. No, I could get not. someone else I, to edit I, that part. I we could, we, could, we could do this here. People understand what I'm saying. Let's get to the movie, shall we? <laughs> uh, Oscar Fahadi is coming up. This is the end is coming up. Let's do the new movies first. I went and saw the new film, A Hero, Iranian film from Oscar Fahadi, and I had one thought as I watched it. By the way, pretext. So they tell me, you can interview Oscar Fahadi, these PR people. I'm like, oh my God, I, I cannot wait. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. The only deal is you got to go to New York City to watch the film. I go, no problem, free movie. But of course, the parking is a you-know-what. 
I got there, Cody, 10, 10 a.m. Showing started at 10. So I ran in a little bit late. And his movie's like, dude, if you miss a minute, you're missing a lot. So I thought it was incredible. We're going to get to my full review in a second. But at the end of the movie, I did have to ask somebody in front of me, one of the film critics, I'm like, hey, just to be clear, what happened in the first 10 minutes? I had a little, uh, you know, I was a little delayed parking. Oh, no. Parking six <laughs> and did, did you miss something? Like, no, did he, he say, he oh, you missed something? something which helped. It wasn't critical, but it was helpful as far as one of the, the way the plot was going. But total cost of parking, $62 for two hours and 15 minutes. Oof. Two hours. Is that New York? I don't. Is that normal that for New York? Outrageous. Is that a lot? It should be like forty dollars. But yeah. this is how they gouge it. Yeah. They go, hey, it's you know fifty for the first two <laughs> hours. But if you want to go ten hours, it's like sixty. I'm like, okay, I'm not sure I understand yeah. the logic, but I got to see a free movie, but I got to pay sixty-two bucks for the parking. Let's get to the review. The Iranian master, Oscar Farhadi, up to his usual tricks, and every man of sorts faced with an extraordinary predicament, determined to evade. Moral minefields. His stories are never judgmental. They simply present the facts and guide the audience towards determining their own conclusion. Unlike many foreign films, which can be deliberate and drawn out, gazing upon scenery or sun-baked landscapes, Farhadi's films offer a torrent of words and plenty of plot, yet they never feel contrived. It's a naturalistic style, but you could almost imagine him in a different lifetime as a premier playwright. Beckett, Pinter, Mamet, Miller, Farhadi. He's the equal to those lions in terms of being an elite dramatist. Regardless of gender or wealth, his characters are instantly recognizable, universal, and deeply empathetic. He serves up another doozy in his latest film, which is called A Hero. Is the title character a prisoner, heroic, a scoundrel, or both? Is he self-serving or has integrity? Like any of us, he's got a little bit of both. Here's a synopsis. Rahim is in prison because of a debt he was unable to repay. During a two-day leave, he tries to convince his creditor to withdraw his complaint against the payment of part of the sum, but things don't go as planned. As a director, Fahadi is ruthlessly efficient, no artifice, no tracking shots, lots of over-the-shoulders, medium shots, and a sparingly used close-up. The final shot, which encapsulates everything in the story, is a marvel of economy and composition. To give away any of the plot would be dastardly, but let me be as blunt as the tax creditor in the film. Farhadi deserves not only another Best International Feature nomination slash win, but also should be up for a Best Picture nomination. Parasite blasted through that wall before, so movies with subtitles like A Hero could follow. There's still a few weeks left in the crammed movie-going calendar, but Oscar Farhadi's A Hero, as it stands now, is the best picture I've seen in 2021. I can't wait to see it again mm. a month from now. It's in theaters January 7th, Amazon Prime January 21st, for Maple Leafs. For Farhadi's a hero. Wow, four. Have we had four this had year a couple so far? Four. Stillwater, I gave four Maple Leafs. Uh, I okay. love Belfast. I gave that four Maple Leafs. But those are the three films that I love more than any. So I don't. I believe you have not seen any of his films, but I hope at some point you get around to it. I think you would enjoy it. Trust me. I know, as, as um, Bong Joon-ho said when Parasite won, it's hard for some people to overcome the one-inch barrier of subtitles. But do you know what I'm saying when I say there's no. subtitles? I can yeah, do subtitles. Because there's subtitle films which yeah. you feel. I can read. No, I, I actually, I've watched movies with subtitles. I, I actually enjoy them. I, and I, you know what? I'm going to watch it. Uh, a lots more <laughs> of Askar Farhadi. Interview with him coming up as part of our wild card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's keep it rolling. Tick, tick, boom. Andrew Garfield, immersive in Martin Scorsese's brilliant silence playing a priest and spry as Spider-Man. That's right, new Spider-Man, by the way, coming in theaters this weekend with Tom Holland. But here, Andrew Garfield is positively exuberant. He plays the creator of the hit play Rent, Jonathan Larson, who I did not realize uh, died fairly young, died before Rent was even made into a musical. Buoyant and infectious songs and musical numbers, Tick, Tick, Boom is about the musical he made before Rent was made. So as of his passing, he had all the lyrics and the music of Rent, but never actually got to see it performed on stage. Instead, this was the closest he came to glory, Tick, Tick, Boom, which was a moderate success. It certainly showed a lot of talent, but he never got to see the fruits of his labor. The reason why I think the film is so enjoyable, though, it's about a portrait and perseverance of the starving artist, driven and ambitious on Broadway, but unable to catch a break. There's one sequence in particular I think any of us can recognize and appreciate. I'm sure me and Chris in our college days, destitute for money just like this guy, Jonathan Larson goes to a focus group. And one of the guys in the film, one of his friends, works in advertising, he goes, yeah, you go to these focus groups, they pay you $75. And he goes in there and they're like pitching ideas for like an ad campaign. And because he's naturally such a creative guy, I mean, he's literally like Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's coming up with songs left and right. He's, he's just nailing these focus groups. But he can't take it seriously because it's so ridiculous and it's so capitalistic. And he is truly an artist, and he finds the whole process ridiculous. Yeah. And his friend is like, listen, bro, it's easy money, 75 bucks. He's like, no, I can't do it. I can't just sell my soul. It's all about selling what's, what's in my heart, as silly as that may sound to some. But I did enjoy the musical. I'll sell my soul. Go ahead. I'll yeah, sell, you, my sell, yourself I'll sell my soul. I'll sell my soul. Tick, Tick, Boom is available on Netflix. I'm giving it three Maple Leafs. I really liked Andrew Garfield's performance. I think he's going to absolutely get a Best Actor nomination. Will Smith is still the front runner to win Best Actor, but I quite enjoy the film. Check out Tick, Tick, Boom. It's on Netflix. I, I saw a clip of Andrew Garfield. Maybe it was him promoting this. A couple weeks ago, he was doing the cold, He was doing the late night circuit, and he was telling this thing about grief. It was so beautiful because I think he lost one of his parents and talking about it inspiring him. It was a really – but. It sound and everyone was spreading it everywhere, and it's because of how great an accent sounds. Like if if I had said his exact same words, it doesn't go viral. But because he's so eloquent and like his his accent is so nice, it it just blew up. And I was just like, that's one of those things that's only blowing up because of how great that. It's kind of like a Benedict Cumberbatch thing. We've talked about his name and his accent. That's right. It was kind of just like he's saying it, but he says it in such a way that it's just I need to spill. But don't you think it's a fine line between saying it and it sounds smoothing and suave, and at times it sounds pretentious, and you just want to self righteous. Right.
And then when I saw him say the same story on like every late night show, I was like, he's doing a thing. He knows this thing hits. He knows he's got a winner here. And I feel like this is, I'm being a mean guy right now because he was talking about the death of one of his parents. But still, he just, he knows that that thing works. So he's going to play it everywhere. You know, he's like a, he's like a guy playing the, you got to play the hits. Even if it's a sad song, you got to play well, the hits. Let's continue the mean game then. He's playing Jonathan Larson, who at the end of the film, they show what he actually looked like. Rest in peace, Jonathan Larson. You weren't nearly as handsome as Andrew Garfield. I mean, that always happens. My life, they're going to have Brad Pitt playing me because I'm like, my God, right. like, Andrew Garfield's a handsome guy, big hair, as you said. Yeah. Cool. You see Jonathan Larson go. This guy's a could not be a geekier looking guy. The opposite of that in Moneyball. No, no, I don't no. want to. I don't take a shot. Who played? Who played Art Howe I in the Moneyball? Philip Seymour Hoffman, the great Philip Seymour. Yeah, Philip. I love him too, but he didn't look like Art Howe at all. Not that Art Howe no. was good looking, but it was just a. They, they just had Art different, Howe, uh, tall more plumpy. I'd say. Lanky. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman, short and stocky. Like what? That, they, <laughs> but he he killed that. He was great I, I in that role. Him, I, like, I get why Art they. Howe. Baseball yeah. guy hates yeah. analytics. Old school. Hates Scott yeah. Atterberg. I love that movie. We'll I love that movie. One more quickly, and then we're gonna get to the old film. Bad luck banging or loony porn. Uh, listen, I don't really know how to describe this film. I got it sent to me, so I said, okay, let's just check it out. For the title alone, right, I'm in. It is about Emmy, a school teacher, finding her career and reputation under threat after personal sex tape is leaked on the internet. Forced to meet the parents demanding her dismissal, Emmy refuses to surrender to their pressure. It's directed by Radu Jude, who also wrote it. The first five films are a porn. Like, I, I thank God my kids went around. I put it in, I go, what the hell is this? Like, if somebody walks in, like, this is a porno. It, it literally, this is close up. It's full frontal. They're having sex. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, geez. Like, Not to get too graphic, but, like, how, what are we talking about here? It was more graphic than I was expecting. Like, we're talking, like, full close-ups. Oh. Like, you know, insertion. I'm like, oh, my God. Jesus. Like, oh, my God. How is this God. movie being marketed right now? Like, well, work yeah. in blue. Oh, Adnan so, Berg. You know, the first four or five minutes were awfully very jarring. And then the film... Uh, never quite matches the highs of those moments because you, you end up seeing <laughs> Emmy. Yeah, how are you going to top that? You see Emmy kind of wandering the streets of Romania and the school tape gets leaked. But then the movie goes all over the place. It almost becomes like a series of like vignettes. I mean, you literally, she's walking towards a guy she's going to speak. You don't know what about. And an old woman jumps in front of the camera and yells, eat my and I'm like, what is going on right now? Jesus. Is this meant to be a comedy or a drama? And then they literally have a 10-minute montage it says, like, on the screen, it says ants, and there's a bunch of, like, ants, and then it says, like, bees, and there's bees, and then it's, like, <laughs> cunnilingus, and then, like, you see this, I'm like, what, what is going on here? So, I'll be completely honest, I couldn't even get to the end of the film. Like, it was so all over the place, <laughs> I'm giving it one maple leaf, I give it credit for audacity, but it was a complete mess. I don't understand what the point is. You know, I'm going to have to... I'm gonna have to check this out, but it's only because of the montage of the ants and the other animal. Like that's I, I have to. It's part of my job. I produce this podcast. I will sacrifice and I will watch that just for those montages. Well, though, how nothing about this, else. Definitely not the first five how minutes. How about this review of the movie. from Pat Padua of Washington Post? Bad luck banging or loony porn careens between lowbrow humor, you think, and highbrow philosophy, <laughs> resulting in a film that is as frustrating as life itself. It's a perfect mirror of our times. I'm like, yeah, I, I would say so. Katie Hogan as well. There's an intriguing series of comments on society and not just in Romania in the film, but the structure is rather off-putting, you think, and ruins any flow the story could have had. I don't even know what the story is. It was all over the place. I, I can't make any sense of it. A couple more reviews, and then we'll get to uh, this is the end. Tick, tick, boom. This is from Janea Green, a Chicago reader. Juxtapositions of the same title play narrated by Garfield and the scenes playing out provide an exciting yet devastating backstory to Larson. Jackie K. Cooper. It had me from the first moment on. Great acting, great songs, great movie. And Lin-Manuel Miranda's directorial debut. Uh, so make sure you check that out. 
Uh, one review did not like it, Ernesto Diaz Martinez. It sucks because Miranda has no sense of the cinematic space. Yeesh. It was interesting that Miranda just directed right. this because, like, he's been like with Hamilton, he like wrote everything. So it was. Just, I would have thought if he got into the directing seat, he would have also written it. Like he had other, he had That's writers. That's a good point. For, for in the Heights, you know, he co-wrote it, and then John Chu directed it. Yeah. Um, Hamilton's a one-man band, and this time he just wanted to make his directorial yeah. debut. Tell the story of Jonathan Larson, but you're right. A little surprising he's yeah. not even in the film. I think he might have a cameo at one point. But uh, one more review here of a hero, Richard Probst, a fiercely compelling and intelligent film. TheIndependentCritic.com. All right, enough blabbing for me. I want to talk about this at the end. I'm going to let Cody carry the ball with this. Here's a story in case you don't know it. Six Los Angeles celebrities are stuck in James Franco's house after a series of devastating events just destroyed the city. Inside the group, not only has to face the apocalypse but themselves one of the funniest movies of the last decade see i agree with you one of the funniest movies i will agree though because a lot of times the seth rogan movies they're funny but they also have a decent story to it this one is just obviously absurd so like this one i don't hold in the high like there are better seth rogan and like you know that whole crew movies but in terms of just laughs per minute that's where this thing I mean, the cameos in this, like, I, I, what's your favorite? I think Michael in terms Cera of just is people unbelievable. Like, like, I'm watching this, I'm like, what? are you kidding? Oh. Like, Michael Cera, he's, like, such a pervert. And, like, that's so... I love that, I is that in this movie, they're playing themselves, but just playing ridiculous versions of themselves. Like, James Franco is, like, obsessed with Seth Rogen. Jonah Hill is this, like, over-the-top, insincere, nice guy. I just love how they're, like, playing themselves, but it's like... And you're right, though. Michael Cera is, by far, the way he's, like, a drug addict. And at one point, he's getting... Like, you stumble into a room, he's doing like a, he's just standing yeah. there and he's, you know, fellatios yeah. uh, ensuing. I, I was just blown it's, away by Michael Cera. I'm like, I was not expecting this side of him. What is the real story behind this movie? It's like, this guy hates LA and like, doesn't want to hang out with yeah. famous people. So like, it, I get it lacks there for like the movie nerds out there, but the laughs per minute, it's just... Yeah, so Larusha Ivan Zadi of Metro.com said, there are some terrific one-liners, most of them insults, but this is a string of character gags, not a film, and the narrative barely putters along. But I think in this instance, it doesn't yeah. matter because, like you said, we're enjoying this. How about no. Danny McBride? I mean, that scene where he just unloads on Franco about the masturbation of the magazine. Like, that that, yes. that was unbelievable. Channing Tatum, like, he, how much did he get paid for that role? He was like, I think he was on a leash, right? Wasn't he like Channing Tatum's cameo? He's like on a leash. <laughs> I just, I don't know how these guys that convince these guys to do this stuff. Like I said, if you're in the group, in the Rogan group, Franco and Jonah Hale and Barish, you're like, all right, we're all boys here. But you're right, when, they, when they're able to get other people like, able to enter that universe and do that kind of stuff, it's a bizarre movie. Like, the last 30 minutes is truly just bizarre. Like, what the hell is happening right now? Giant monsters are attacking them. It's like this apocalyptic story. It's apparently based on the short film Jay and Seth versus the Apocalypse. So apparently Barishal and Rogan did this at some point. But Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogan are the guys responsible for it, wrote and directed. Bonkers movie. But laughs per minute, we're giving it two thumbs up. So Four Maple Leafs for This is the End. If you've never seen it, go check it out. It's a good comedy to watch over the holidays. All right, that was the new, that was the old. Now we get to the wild card, the great Askar Farhadi. And before we listen to the interview, just to be clear, he understands English but speaks Farsi, which is the native language of Iranians. So as you'll listen, you'll hear Ryan, his translator, translating what Farhadi is saying. Very interesting concept, though. Like he, I thought, I thought he didn't speak any English, so I'm like, okay, I have to ask a question in English. His translator will have to translate the question. He will answer it and then translate back. But instead, he understands English. He just didn't feel comfortable speaking it. Hello, this is Asfar. Hi, Asfar. How are you? Good. I'm a huge fan. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Literally, my wife is here. She wants to say hello. She's such a big fan. Go ahead. That's that's Asfar Farhadi. There he is. Salam. Hi. Oh, ba, 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 ba. 
<laughs> we're, we're Pakistani, but she can speak a little bit of Farsi, so that's oh, all she knows. Yeah. I'm a huge fan. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for all your work and representing everybody in the Muslim community as well. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Very good yeah. to see you. <laughs> oh, that's cool. All right, here we go. He is one of the great filmmakers in the world. His name is Askar Farhadi, and I'm a huge fan of his work. A Separation won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Film, also The Salesman won, and I just saw his new film, A Hero, which is as good as it gets. And I hope it's not only going to win the Academy Award for Best International Feature, but also be nominated for Best Picture. His name is Askar Farhadi. Uh, Askar, it's great to see you. Salam, hala shama chitori. Salam. Hi, I'm very good, thank and I'm very happy that you learned Persian from your wife. <laughs> so I used to live in an area of Toronto at Young and Steels. It's a lot of Persians there. So my wife can speak a little bit of Farsi, and she's a huge fan of your work. So she did teach me halasha machatori. So, you know, we're, we're working on it. Um, so let's, let's talk about your film, A Hero, which is just incredible. Um, I don't know how you do it. I guess my question is, how do you have such dense layers of storytelling? Like how, I'm, I heard your podcast with my friend Scott Feinberg at Awards Chatter, and he said, Farhadi's films are like a Russian doll. You know, you remove one piece, there's another piece. How do you have such dense levers of storytelling? Because I think it's incredible. When I'm working, I really can't see myself from outside. The things that I'm about to tell you are the, my guess about how I work. The first part of my writing process is through my subconscious. And I start to make notes about the things that are in, in my head about the subject. And then I put like this subject, uh, these notes on the wall. And I come every day and I throw some of them out and I add some more to, to them. Until I get to a timeline which is, has like a beginning and an end. The thing that makes this timeline start to work is using the material of everyday life. It may be, be possible to do this with the materials of like not everyday life, but I'm persisting on using the everyday life material. And the other thing that makes me give you this feeling is that I don't see an audience as a passive audience in my films. The audience for me always are like a judge or a jury. They're like a detective that they have to find the truth as well. The third point is that there are conditions and situations in my film that we see from different perspectives, like Rashomon movie. And this different narrative of the situation gives the movie the different layers. It's fascinating the way you're able to do that because I'm, I'm watching, I'm thinking to myself, how many drafts does this guy do? How much work does this do to try to pull apart these layers? It's like an onion just pulling it apart. I think the casts are so great in your films, Askar, because you know, we don't see a lot of these Persian actors. So it feels like these actors are those people. Can you tell me a little bit about the cast? Are they very popular in Tehran or in Iran? Are these very popular actors? Because to me, they were all brilliant. When I started the casting process for this project, I thought that I have to choose actors that are not seen on the, on the cinema at all. And I was looking for anonymous faces that only done theater. And right now, 90% of the actors in the film are the people with the, that this is their first time in front of camera. Lak Rahim's uh, partner, Farfan, that she's, this is the first time that she's acting. Or there's uh, Rahim's sister or the Rahim's uh, uh, brother-in-law or Rahim's nephew. But for the characters uh, of Rahim and Bahram, my decision changed and I decided to bring the real actors. And I thought that they're, because the Rahim's character is a very simple character, he's a simple man, and I thought if there is no not a good actor doing it, it may 
may turn him turn that character into an, like an idiot. And it required an actor who had ex acting experience. And now it's a combination of the actors who haven't been acting before and actors that have been acting for a long time. And this, this is a combination. When you put uh, professional actors next to on, not the professional actors, it feels like the professional actors becomes like they start acting like those actors who are not professional. And it feels like unlike what we think of, it seems that the unprofessional actors have an impact on the professional actors. And everybody's acting feels like somebody who's never been acting before. It's amazing, the naturalism. And I love the fact that you never judge the characters. Like whenever I'm watching one of your films, I start to feel for a character, that I'm disappointed in a character. But it's true. It's honest. It's, it's very reflective of life. And that brings us to a separation. I have my little Blu-ray copy here. And when <laughs> I, I, I remember when I saw the film, everyone kept telling me, oh, you have to see this movie. It'll blow your mind. And I said, well, what's it about? They said, well, you just have to see it. I can't explain it to you. It's two hours, and it's so much drama and tension. And there's no car chases. There's no violence. It's just, it's so well done. On the cover, it says the best picture of the year. Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun-Times, Joe Morgenstern, The Wall Street Journal. Those are film critics that are really huge names, Oscar. That's as good as it gets. What was your reaction when you made a separation and critics like Roger Ebert and Joe Morgenstern said, this is not only a great film from Iran, this is the best picture of the year? Let me tell you a very interesting memory. When I was making a separation, I thought that because it has a very local story that nobody would understand what it is about outside of Iran. And when I when the movie was done, I didn't even put a subtitle to send it outside of Iran. And somebody from Berlin Film Festival who came to Iran to watch Iranian films came to me and because my last movie about Ellie was in Berlin Film Festival, she asked me to uh, watch my new movie. I, I told her that this movie doesn't have subtitles and I don't think it fits what she want because it's a very Iranian film. The translator did the translation simultaneously while she was watching the film. And right after the movie was over, she said that she loves the movie and she's selected movie for the competition and when after that uh, uh, Woody Allen talked about the film Roger Ebert talked about the film other characters critics talked about the film I found out that this lo being local is not uh, in front of you know being universal and it was I, it made me very happy it's amazing it made all of us happy seeing that film you know I'm 43 so I grew up you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, that great Iranian new wave. And I was in college watching a lot of those kind of films, Majid Majidi, Mohsen Mahmoudov. But I want to ask you about Abbas Kiarostami. Like, it's incredible to me. He was never even nominated for a Best International Feature Film. The Wind Will Carry Us. Obviously, Taste of Cherry won the Pandora. Incredible film. Did you ever get to meet Kiarostami? What do you think of his films? I love uh, Kiara Sami's film and I love himself as well. And I'm very happy that at the very end of his life, the last few days of his life, I managed to tell him that I love him very much. I went to his home a few weeks before he passed away and um, he was lying on his bed and we watched his last movie, 24 Frames, together. I think that he's one of the biggest filmmakers of the world. And he had the influence on all the Iranian filmmakers. And his own character is very much like it, the characters of his films. Nobody in the world had made movies like him anymore. I can say that he was absolute master. I love his films. I love your films as well. Last one for you. The Salesman was such an incredible film. Again, you watch your films and you, at the end you say, oh my God, I did not expect that to happen. Um, obviously, it was influenced by Death of a Salesman. And it was... At the time, for all Muslims in America, it was a horrible time because Trump had the Muslim ban. And then you make this kind of a film and then you win the Academy Award. Can you describe to me what it was like? I don't know if you appreciate how crazy it was for Muslims in America, but for you as a Muslim filmmaker to win the Academy Award for The Salesman at that time. 
I wasn't really predicting such a thing to happen. And when the news came up, like any many other people, I feel very sad about it. I feel like it's kind of an insult. I'm very happy that this story is over now and we've passed through it. Yeah, amen to that. All right, his name is Askar Fahadi. The film is called A Hero. Make sure you check it out in theaters in January. It's available on Amazon Prime January 21st. He's one of the great filmmakers in the world. There's very few directors who have won two Academy Awards, Fellini, Bergman, Kurosawa, among them. Farhadi is an absolute master. It's such a pleasure to speak to you. You got to come to New York sometime. We'll have you over to the house. We'll make some good Persian food for you. Chobi, merci, chodafiz. Chodafiz, khayli ma'amnuz. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, thanks once again to Askar Farhadi and thanks to his uh, translator, Ryan. Thanks to Madi, who was running the Zoom. Like I said, his films are incredible. Hopefully people will check them out and you can see that film a month from now. There's lots of movies coming out right now. God, it's too hard to keep up, right? Spielberg's uh, West Side Story, uh, new film from Guillermo del Toro, I can't wait, Nightmare Alley, new film from Riz Ahmed called Encounter. I see that's on Amazon Prime. And of course, Spider-Man, which I'm going to be taking my kids to see. So Spider-Man will be checking out. Your daughter's birthday, December 22nd, Chris, are you going to take her to see? She's yep. a little too young for movies yet. No, I don't have any movies planned to take her. She's at that age where I, we, I think we've taken her to one. I forget what we watched, but we did take her to one and she was decent in it. I um, only went to the bathroom four times. Um, that's my thing. My daughter with restaurants, anywhere we're at, she just knows she can pull the card of I'm bored right now. Hey, mommy, I got to go pee. So then you get to go on an adventure. So she like, my daughter's way too smart. She's like playing me and my wife. My wife's always like, no, she just has to. It's like, no. She you don't think, think she has an overactive bladder. <laughs> you think she's just bored. A lot of times she won't pee. A lot of times we get to the bathroom and because it's like, oh, we're going in. We just peed and we go and she doesn't have to pee. And she just gives you a look like, what? I thought it. And it's like, you. I know what you're doing. You're smarter than you. I know what you're doing, you. <laughs> These kids, they like to, like, just because they're young doesn't mean they don't know what's going on. They they, they figure out quick the buttons they can push to get what they want. These kids. Mani Manipulative these, these tykes out there, okay? Be careful. Lots of great mm -hmm. movies out there. Hopefully no bathroom breaks when I take my kids to see Spider-Man. All that more yeah. coming up in Cinephile. We'll see you at the movies.